You are listening to Locally Sourced Science. Your connection to the scientific discoveries happening in the Finger Lakes community. Today is July 9th, 2019, and this is Locally Sourced Science. Well, welcome, listeners, to Locally Sourced Science. My name is Mark Sharvari. My name is Jasmine Mack. My name is Laura Mortalidi. Ah, so as you hear that, you have three hosts today. So, ladies, have you been to Shaw's Marine Laboratory before? I have not been there, but I have heard of it. All right, do you know where it is? No, I do not. Is it in Maine? It is Maine. Yes, so Shaw's Marine Laboratory is a research station and undergraduate uh, education facility. They teach everything about marine biology and marine life and it's on Appledore Island and I just spent two weeks there. So today's show is going to feature a couple interviews from the show's marine laboratory. But before we do that, should we do some news? Yeah, sure. So um, I just read an article recently um, about Cornell University having found a way to make robots more human-like with synthetic circular story system in a lionfish-shaped robot. But that sounds scary. It does, but it's actually it's actually really interesting because they created not only the circulatory system, but a special synthetic blood. And so they're really hoping that they can use these robots for extended periods of time. They'll last longer than normal robots. That's pretty interesting. I've never heard of anything like that. So the article was originally published in Nature on June 19th. The lead author is Cameron Aubin, and he is in the Organic Robotics Lab. What else is happening? I also read an article um, that was about a joint study between the Ithaca Area Wastewater Treatment Facility, Ithaca College, Cornell University, and the Cornell Cooperative Extension about microplastics and pharmaceutical drugs found in the Cayuga Lake. And so it really was interesting because the wastewater plants are filtering the water, but there's still trace amount of drugs that get into the lake. And then in addition to that, a lot of plastic pollution in the water is breaking down into microplastics. And these microplastics are like sponges, and they absorb these trace amounts of drugs, which then are eaten by animals, and then those animals enter our food chain that we eventually eat. And so these trace drugs, they have major impacts on um, human systems. Wow. So this must be a big problem, not just in Cayuga Lake, but... Yes, and other places. exactly. So the Cayuga Lake is just what they were looking at, the resources that they had. Um, but I'm sure that this is a major problem in many other bodies of water in which we are pumping our um, filtered wastewater into. So where can our listeners learn more about this? So the main article was on the Ithaca Journal, and so you can read more about the specifics of the paper there. It's interesting how those two articles that I found are related to bodies of water, and now that we're having an interview from the Shoals Marine Lab. Yeah, absolutely. I think they were great finds. And in the next 15 minutes, we are going to hear from the executive director, Dr. Jennifer Seavey, about the Shoals Marine Laboratory. And it's not only an undergraduate teaching facility and the research station, it used to be an art colony. So lots of artists used to go out there and Celia Thexter Garden is still there. Uh, so you will hear from Dr. Jennifer Seavey about that. So let me set the scene for you. 
you are sitting outside on the deck of the dining hall on an island. People just finished their dinners, sitting outside and chatting. You look around, you can only see ocean and fog in the far You can hear some boats, you can hear some birds, and you can hear the ocean. Welcome to Shores. Yeah, so we're at Shoals Marine Laboratory, which is located on Appledore Island, which is in Kittery, Maine. We're six miles out to sea from Rye, New Hampshire. And my name is Dr. Jennifer Seavey, and I'm the John M. Kingsbury Executive Director for the lab. So when was this lab established? The lab was established in 1966 on our neighboring island to the south of us, Star Island. And it moved over here a few years after that to take over Appledore Island, which is a 100-acre island. So what are the islands around Appledore in addition to Star Island? So Appledore is in the Isles of Shoals, which straddle the New Hampshire and Maine border. So half the islands are in Maine, half are in New Hampshire. There's nine islands in total. Appledore is the largest at 100 acres. Star Island's the next largest at 50. There's Duck Island. Uh, Lunging, Smutty Nose, Cedar, White, Seavey. Then there's a couple rocks that I think people sometimes count as islands, but they're not. <laughs> so what is your connection to Seavey Island? Yeah, so I just mentioned Seavey Island. It's in New Hampshire, on the New Hampshire side of the Isles of Shoals. And my eighth great-grandfather, William Seavey, came over from Western England in 1625. He came here to fish cod, and he actually lived on Appledore, that he would be drying his cod over on Seavey's Island, and then bundling it up, and the ship would come right to the dock, the wharf there, and he would be able to put it on a boat right from his, from his location there. Very cool. So, can you tell us a little bit what's actually happening on the island? So, this is beginning of June, mid-June, we see a lot of people, faculty, students, staff. So who are these folks and <laughs> what are they doing here? Who are they and what are they doing here? So Shoals is the largest undergraduate-focused marine lab in the country. And I don't, so there's a lot of marine labs out there in the world. They, many of them welcome and have fabulous undergraduate programs. This lab focuses on undergraduate education and research experiences. So the majority of people on this island are enrolled in a class. So we have three classes that go at any given moment. At any given day, you'd be out here, there'd be three classes running. And they run in two-week increments over the course of the summer. And it's a 10-week season for our academic season. And those classes cover the gamut from applied science communication to marine mammal biology, to shark biology, sustainable fisheries. I teach a class in integrated marine ecosystem management. So from policy, applied science to very theoretical science, all with a salty bent to it since we're out here at sea. I mean, this is basically an anchored boat. So we take advantage of that. Um, we do do terrestrial work as well on this island. It's a great place for island biogeography as well. The next group of the population out here um, is the undergraduate researchers. And so we have about 
15, 20 students in a given season doing research under the guidance of a principal investigator and with additional guidance from four PhD mentors that live on the island and assist them in their training of the entire research process. Each one of them is doing an independent study and they take that from coming up with a good question through design to doing the work to data analysis and it ends in a science symposium where they do um, a science talk, 15-minute science talk. And then we also in the fall encourage them to go to a scientific meeting that we organize carpools and help them print posters and do poster presentations. That's fantastic. And we also ran into an artist on the island. Mm -hmm. And I know there is some historical connection to art here. So can you tell us a little bit about that and also about the artist in residence program? Sure. So Appledore Island in the 1800s was a site of a very important hotel called the Appledore House. And that hotel served the growing wealthy class of Boston. And those folks would come out for the entire summer. Within the, the realm of that hotel built this art colony, the Appledore Island Art Colony. And Celia Thaxter, who was the hostess of the hotel and the daughter of the hotel owner, she lived out here all summer long. She was the organizer of this art colony. And the art colony was comprised of writers, visual artists, painters, and musicians, composers. And it was well known. A lot of famous people who you would know on the writing front, Nathaniel Hawthorne, John Greenleaf Whittier, Harriet Beecher Stowe, on the painting front, um, Child Hassam's probably the most famous, but there's a number of other well-known established painters. And on the musician front, many of those musicians went from the Boston area to start symphony orchestras across the United States. So there was a lot of juicy thinking going on in her house, which was located just on the north end of the island. We've actually recreated Celia Thaxter's garden, which she wrote an entire book about and wrote a lot of poems about. Celia herself was a poet. She was well published in The Atlantic, which was a well-read, widely read periodical at the time. And in fact, Emily Dickinson was turned away from The Atlantic because Celia Thaxter was already publishing with them and they were like, oh, we got the female poet covered. We don't need you, Emily. So obviously that changed later, but, but Celia was really in, known nationally and she wrote a book called The Island Garden. And in that book, she describes in detail her garden, which uh, Jack Kingsbury, the original founder of this lab, he restored. Restored, I mean, in the fence posts or in the exact location of the original fence posts. And we plant that garden specific to the island garden book. There's an actual schematic in the book and that's how we plant it. So we started this artist in residence program here on the lab for two reasons. One, we wanted to pay homage to this important art colony that has had huge influence on American cultural growth and because there's a, a lot that art can offer to science. In fact, Einstein said that art and science were united in trying to understand the mystery of the world. We have the artists come out to the island in two-week increments. So we have about six artists who come across the island over the course of the summer. And they enter each science class and they give those students an art experience. And 
I have actually done research on this myself with a collaborator, Susan Jacobson at the University of Florida. And we have found that it improves metrics of creative thinking. And we need creative scientists coming up with a good question, interpreting your data. All of these ways of thinking about your system all involves aspects of creativity that I think is not really well cultivated and recognized and appreciated in typical science education. So we want to try to really improve the science education through offering this experience. So if you are just tuning in, we are interviewing the executive director of Schultz Mary Laboratory, uh, Dr. Jennifer Seavey, and talking about research, art, and education on Epodor Island. So if you'd like to learn more, where can our listeners find us? You can find us online at locallysourcedscience.org. And on Twitter at FLX Science Radio. Wonderful. So let's get back to the interview. Since we are on an island, and I just look around, all I see is ocean, uh, how do you maintain energy, water, life, pretty much human life, in addition to the gauze here on the island? There is no connection between Appledore and the mainland, so everything that we do here, we have to do ourselves. We are our own utility company. We have to make the power. We have to deal with all of the water. We have to deal with the wastewater, the actual waste food compost, bringing food out, taking food off, all of these things we do ourselves. It's an incredible opportunity and a really clear example of knowing exactly what resources you need to bring in to make all of these things happen at this marine lab and what comes off this island. There's multiple reasons why we want to be sustainable. First, it makes good financial sense. It's cheaper to make solar power than to bring an entire oil barge out here to this island and risk an oil spill and pump tens of thousands of gallons of diesel on this island. Instead, we make green power. And that's great for our financial bottom line, but it's also the right thing to do. And we are here for the natural resources. We don't want to disrupt the very things that we're studying. And so we have thought about very very consciously how we can minimize our impact here on the island and how we can do it in a way that is a net gain for the island across the board from the biology to our finances. So we're 85% solar powered and that is improving daily and in fact I should note that we have a sustainable engineering internship program where undergraduates come out every year and help us solve and iterate these problems around sustainability. We've gone from burning 10,000 gallons of diesel fuel to under 1,000. And lastly, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you become the executive director of this island? And how does a good day look like for you? And how does a bad day look like for you? Well, I got the job because I was born to do it, right? Because my family... Yeah. <laughs> My eighth grade grandfather lived on Appledore Island, oh, okay. and it's almost 400 years ago. I get to live on the same island. Everyone asks me, is that why you got the job? I hope not. Anyway, interestingly, I'm an ornithologist, which is also a funny expertise for a marine lab director, but I actually study seabirds. So I come to the ocean from the sky, 
and my research is actually on CV Island and White Island and I study terns. And so there's three species of terns here and they are state or federally listed species. So there's a lot of concern about their viability and their sustainability, especially in the Gulf of Maine that's warming faster than 99% of the world's oceans. So I'm deeply interested in the questions around the conservation of these three species. For this job, I worked at the University of Florida. I was the assistant director for a marine lab on an island six miles offshore, almost the exact same size. <laughs> and that was called Seahorse Key Marine Lab. It's now Nature Coast Biological Center. And it's in Cedar Key, Florida, on the Gulf of Mexico. I joke that I, that was, I left a snake-infested island to come to a gull-infested island. The, they're almost exactly matched, the number of gulls on this island and the number of snakes on that island. Um, but all of them had a really strong ornithological bent that kept my personal interest. The one thing I really love about shoals is the focus on undergraduates. And, and we do that at every turn. Anything that happens out here, researchers are all over this island and we incentivize for them reasons to involve undergrads and I really love that. And I love that we walk the talk on sustainability and I'm really thrilled here that we are lessening our impact on this, on the ecosystem. Wow, that was a really interesting interview. We could learn about shores and we also learned that it wasn't only about uh, science but it's also about art. So. Do you have any experience with the uh, intersection of art and science? Yes, actually. Um, there's a program going around. I don't know if you've heard of STEAM. It's like STEM. And uh, What does STEM and STEAM stand for? Oh, good question. So STEM is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And STEAM is a similar educational suite that fosters the importance of the arts as well. Um, our local... Museum of the Earth is hosting a STEAM summer program, um, hosting exhibits that try to make connections between the arts and science. One of their exhibits, which is up patterns in art and science, this is the exhibit, and they are um, staffing that between one and three every Wednesday with one of their museum educators. So this will run until August 28th at the Museum of the Earth. That's very cool. That's actually very fitting because the next interview our short field interview was done by Hannah Weinstein. So the artist in resident was Barak McDavid, and he's a painter. And Hannah Weinstein interviewed him and talked to him about art and science and education at Schwarzmary Laboratory. So let's listen to that interview now. I have been out to Star Island on several painting trips and always really enjoyed the super rocky, bold coast uh, subject matter. And then several years ago, I saw the Child Hassam exhibit at the Peabody Essex Museum in Salem, Mass. And I was just completely blown away by the work and got a lot more interested in uh, Celia Thaxter and her artist colony um, in the, the late 1800s. And I also have um, colleagues that have done the artist in residency program out here in the past and spoke really highly of the experience and um, 
also uh, non-artist friends who are supporters of Shoals Marine Lab who just think it's fantastic what they're doing out here. So I was just very intrigued and wanted to be able to get out here and uh, see what I could add for value for the students, but also be able to explore the island and do my, um, my oil paintings from life. Um, coming to Appledore, did you already have an idea of what types of things you wanted to paint, or did you allow yourself to, in, to be influenced by the island? I was actually trying to be very careful not to try to find child Hassam spots and copy them per se. I didn't want to try to be a, you know, just a, an imitator. Um, you certainly can't help but be influenced by him, and I can kind of see how he uh, approached his work, the way that he simplified things, because some of the subjects are so complicated that he had to simplify them, and I found myself doing that as well. Um, but I, I definitely allowed myself to just respond to the uh, subject matter and compositional opportunities that presented themselves just by walking around the island and and, uh, and and checking out the various spots. Do you think that artist in residence programs at scientific research institutions like the one here at Scholes could inspire participating artists to include more elements that can be considered scientific in their work? Oh, good question. Um, I, I suppose it depends on the artist. I'm a representational painter, so I'm really just kind of trying to take a, a snapshot of, of a scene and, and make it, you know, my, give it my own little spin. But certainly uh, uh, artists that, there are no rules and regulations about who can participate in the artists in residency program. There could be abstract artists, uh, writers, it really doesn't matter. So I can certainly see uh, certain artists that maybe would working in an abstract form incorporating uh, elements from the science classes that they've been involved with into their work uh, might be really interesting. Do you think that the audience that you reach through your paintings is an audience that is generally artistic, or is there a wider range of the type of people who'd be interested in your work? Oh, I, I definitely think it's a very wide range. Um, the way that I try to paint, I'm really just trying to capture uh, a time of day, uh, atmosphere, and light that I find that if I do it right, it will appeal to a lot of different people because they've been at that, maybe not that exact same spot, but they've been somewhere and enjoyed the light that occurs when the sun is setting and everything starts to glow. Um, and they kind of, you know, it brings back memories of maybe different situations where they really enjoyed that kind of scene. So um, I try to appeal to artists and and non-artists alike um, and, and a lot of times if I find that I'm really appealing to artists it's because I'm working in a way that's kind of limiting the scope um, and I've actually had gallery owners when I presented some of my work to me say that's that'll never sell that's a painting only artists will like because I was proud of of uh, color notes that I've hit or a certain light effect, but I was kind of missing a, uh, a narrative or, or something along those lines. So I try to, I try to appeal to a broad spectrum of uh, when it comes to my audience.
Um, so specifically, what do you hope to convey to your audience through your paintings of Appledore Island? Along the, the lines of, of my, my previous point, the, the atmosphere, uh, you know, and I, I, I want them to be kind of timeless. So, you know, ideally uh, 100, 200 years from now, people can look at it and, and they, they still maybe get that feeling that, oh, I, I know that foggy morning light, you know, I know that kind of misty coolness that, that happens. Um, so it will just kind of resonate with them. Um, and so I'm, I'm just kind of going for a, a timeless feel to them. Do you think that by painting the natural world, you can raise an interest in science for those who might consider themselves artists and not scientists? I, I would hope that by capturing natural places in their kind of pristine state, that maybe that would spark an interest in preserving those places, and that would maybe lead to uh, an interest in uh, ecology and the biodiversity and, and uh, preserving and maintaining the habitats that allow these places to, to maintain, to look the way that they do for going forward for uh, other generations. So, yeah, maybe if it leads to science from a uh, preservation standpoint, yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Well, this was the 64th Locally Sourced Science episode. And if you'd like to learn more about the courses and the research at Scholz Marine Laboratory, check out scholzmarinelaboratory.org. That is S-H-O-A-L-S marinelaboratory.org. Or actually follow them on Instagram or on Twitter at Scholz Marine Lab. They are really active on social media and they have fantastic pictures and Scholz stories. The artist that Hannah interviewed is Barrett McDevitt and spelled as B-A-R-R-E-T-T-M-C-D-E-V-I-T-T. So two R's and two T's in Barrett. And you can find his amazing paintings of shows on Instagram or at barrettmcdevitt.com. And again, thinking about art and science, especially effects of climate change, uh, some of Barrett's paintings, if you compare them to, to previous paintings from Apollodore Island, can give you some sense about how much has changed there. In episode 65, actually, we will continue to explore the Shores Marine Laboratory on Apollodore Island, since the island is administered by Cornell University and the University of New Hampshire, it provides opportunities to many research projects. And some of them may actually surprise you. So join us again in the next episode as we explore some of the research opportunities that Appledore Island offers. And we may even hop over to nearby islands. So we have only a few more minutes left of today's show. And with our three hosts, Mark Sharvari, Jasmine Mack, Laura Mortaliti. So do we have anything else for our listeners? What is happening in the Finger Lakes region in the next couple of weeks. We have an, ex- an exciting workshop coming up. Um, who here likes maple syrup? I make I love my maple syrup. own maple syrup, oh. but only tapping like four trees. So oh. it's like not big production. Oh, there's something coming up that sounds perfect for you. And I like maple lattes, so mm. I w- would like to know how they make them as well. So for those of you listening, maple syrup is very unique to the Northeast and North America. 
um, there's an upcoming workshop called Cornell Maple Camp, and it's happening about a half hour south of Ithaca at Cornell's Are Not Teaching and Research Forest. So from July 23rd to the 26th, um, this camp will cover collecting, boiling, bottling, and sales of maple syrup and sugar bush maintenance. So that concludes our show. Thank you very much for co-hosting it today. So where can our listeners find us? On Twitter, you can find us at FLX Science Radio. Or you can find us online at locallysourcedscience.org. And you can also download previous episodes of Locally Source Science from any of your uh, podcatchers. So wherever you would like to listen to podcasts. So today's main interview was conducted by Mark Sharvari. Uh, Hannah Weinstein conducted the shorter interview. We heard uh, science news from... Jasmine Mack. And the current events. Laura Mortlidi. And Joe Lewis was the voiceover and the producer of our opening music. Listen to us again in two weeks or download previous episodes of Locally Sourced Science. Science Science out. out!